Amen. All right, grab your Bibles. Have a seat. Let's get going. We're going to go back to Luke chapter number two today. We're going to close out this series, if you would, if you want to call it that, tonight. All right, so tonight we'll close it out in chapter number three, if God allows us to, at our candlelight service. And so just keep that in mind. We do have an 11 after this and then a six o'clock tonight. We tell people this. It's not an obligation thing. It's just a, if you like, want to make it a part of your tradition, be here. But please don't feel guilt, guilt or any kind of shame for not being because we understand this is a heavy family night. Let's go, if you would, to Luke chapter number two. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse number 21. Um, and I almost preached the whole sermon from verse number 21. So I'm going to give you a little Bible study. Is that okay? As an introduction, something to go test. I want you to look at this. It's really cool. Eight days later, this is eight days after the birth of Jesus Christ. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus. There's a very powerful statement made right there. Now, I know, and, and, and we've talked about this. We go to Joshua chapter number five a lot, especially dealing with addiction and recovery. And we talk about how Joshua looks at the guys that were now 40 years in the wilderness raised, right? Their parents are dead. They couldn't go into the promised land because they got there and got scared. How many of you remember this story? Just breaking it down real quick. Joshua and Caleb are about to lead them in. And he looks at them and he says, hey, God comes to him and says, circumcise your young men. He said, none of them have been circumcised since they left Egypt. Now, in our world, that doesn't translate to the actual act of circumcision. It's a spirituality. It's a, it's a preview of what God was going to do through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was going to come and be the Savior of the world, making him the spiritual circumcision of all of us. Meaning, in the old days, back in the biblical Old Testament, you see circumcision as a sign of dirty and clean. It does not translate that way today. All right? So don't take that personal, guys. It's not anything to to do with that. It was symbolic. And that's the way you've got to understand God's word works. And so understand what he's saying is when you cut off in the circumcision, it's you're cutting off the dirty and you're making it clean. And that's why you see circumcision heavy in the Bible. But I want you to understand two parallels here. And this is the cool thing. Eve had no name until she sinned. She was known as woman. When she was brought to Adam, Adam looked at her and said, she will be called woman because she is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And so up until the sin, she had an identity of being one with Adam and one with God. That was the identity. There was a unity. When she ate the fruit, she became Eve, an identity based on what she had done. Now think about this. <laughs> up until Christ came into your life, your identity is based on what you do. The sins you commit, the shortcomings, the, the failures, the not good enoughs, the the times you tried and failed or, or the times you knowingly sinned or maybe the time you tripped up and didn't plan it, but you found yourself in it. And if we're not careful, we, we can become identified by where we've been. We can become identified by what we've done. But in the circumcision that comes through Christ, you get an identity that's different. And understand this, until Christ went through the circumcision process, he had no identity because he was considered unclean. Here's the hopeful message that eight days later, once going through the ritual of, and if you keep reading, it's called the offering of purification. It is ordered that the firstborn of a, a, a woman be dedicated to the Lord. And so two turtle doves, y'all heard that in the song, right? And, and, or two pigeons would be offered as a purification process 
process and the circumcision would be done and then the identity given. And there's hope in the statement that those of you who are in here today that have the identity of where you've been and what you've done, the identity of the things that you wish you could take back when Jesus comes on the scene and, and, come, and does the circumcision of removing the old, those that were dead in their trespasses and sin has he quickened and raised to new life. Those that were lost are now found. Those that were dirty, now clean. Red is Clemson, now white as snow. There's a new identity given and you are not who you used to be. And anytime a believer that falls into sin comes to Christ in confession and repentance, you are washed, you are cleaned, you are forgiven and the identity restored. And so when it says eight days later, he gets his identity. It's because who you were before is not who you will be known for forever when you come through Christ and the spiritual circumcision happens in your life. How many of you understand that? Say, got it. How cool is that, right? Those are the moments in the Bible that if you're not careful, you just miss it. Eight days later, he's Jesus, who the angel predicted he would be. Now, lately, I'm just praying for things in my life, praying for things going on around us. And I, I, I love this. It's just like, you know, I want to know what the story looks like when it says, and he became who God predicted him to be. He became, she became who God had declared them to be before they were even born. Because in Psalm 139, it says that before you took your first breath, he recorded the days of your life in his book. He's got the, the hairs on your head numbered and counted. You matter and you have purpose. And, 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 and I don't know, I don't want to get to the end of my life and not ever be who God predicted me to be before I was born. And so in that, my prayer becomes, God, let the prophecy that you have predicted come true in my life as I step into the things that you have called me to do. Let's step through some purification. Let's step into the identity of Christ and let's see what God does on the other side of it. Pretty cool sermon, right? So just take that, go run with it, do your own thing. Now I'm all teary-eyed and can't read the rest of it, so let's just quit. No, I'm just kidding. Let's keep going. It says, then it was time for the purification offered as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. What a challenge to his parents to keep our children God's first, ours second. These are your children, God. You just helped us raise them. You know, I'm proud of you for bringing your kids to church on a Christmas Eve. I am proud of that. I'm not discrediting anybody that couldn't. I mean, I've got a daughter with a temperature right now, and I know many others are battling sicknesses and different things like that. I mean, we're not discrediting any of that, but hey, hey, give them to God first. They're yours next. If you keep that order, their life is protected, their life is secure, and they will fulfill the plan and prophecy of God because God says when they're old, they can't depart from it. Train up a child in the way they should go. Keep it up. It goes on and it says this, the law of the Lord says if a woman firstborn child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifices required by the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is where we'll take our text today. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem by the name of Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. By the way, if you're in a season of life where you don't know when what God has promised is going to happen, be righteous, just do the right thing, be devout, be dedicated to God, and be looking for Jesus. And that is a great antidote. That is a great equation that is going to guarantee that the promise of God in your life will be fulfilled. All right, so there's a quick sermon too, right? We're going to get four sermons in 30 minutes, right? Here we go. It goes on and it says, the Holy Spirit was upon him 
And he had revealed to him that he would not die until he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day, the spirit led him to the temple. Here's, here's the next one. It is good to go where God leads you. Right? You never know what's going to happen there. It's a good time to bring the story in. I was talking to a, a recently dating couple, um, and they were telling me how they met. Um, and, and, and they said that normally when I go out on my walk, I take a right. And I'm going to get the rights and lefts wrong, but just stay with me. And he said, I normally take a left. And, and, and this day they went out and they both took a different direction. And in that different direction, they had met each other. They had seen each other. They had come in contact with each other. They both experienced a tragic loss and had something in common. And, and, and then they had met a couple of times, but that day they collided, right? And in that collision, now there's a healthy relationship that's growing and stemming from it. And, and I told them, if you ever get a chance to teach the singles, maybe you look at them and say, hey, maybe don't always do the things you've always done and do something different. Maybe tonight you turn left. Maybe today you turn right. But here's the thing. You, you just follow that nudge in you that says, I want you to do something different than you've done before. I want you to go somewhere you've never gone before. I want you to say something you've never said before. And, and, and good thing is, is yeah, and that day the spirit was on him and led him where? To the temple. You know, by the way, don't fall for the false prophets that are going around saying you don't need church. I mean, Jesus wouldn't have died for something he didn't want you to attend. It goes on and it says that, hey, he, he went there and, 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 and Mary and Joseph came to present the baby to the Lord as the law required. Here's a cool thing. Here's a man waiting on God to fulfill a promise. Here's a parent being obedient. Obedience and following and willingness leads to the same moment. So can I, can I tell you this? You, the obedience that God is requiring in your life is going to impact the life of somebody else. Your disobedience could leave somebody hanging. You're, you're not going where God wants you to go, not doing what God wants you to do could lead to someone who's waiting on the promise and answer of God to come, not coming. You know, I, I, I don't know how many times I get this where somebody will walk in the back door and they'll be like, where's so-and-so? And I'm like, well, they're not here today. Oh, well, they've been inviting me for months and I'm here. You know, and it's like, ah, if you're going to invite them, show up, right? Because your obedience and they're following the Spirit could lead to salvation. It could lead to somebody saying, okay, I, I see the call in the hand of God on my life. You are not insignificant. Neither are your actions. Neither are your words. The small things matter. Will you say that with me? The small things matter. How many of you believe that to be true? How many of you, a, li a little gift meant in sincerity means a lot more than a big gift that was just given? You know, somebody taking time to do something. How many of you like a handwritten card better than something that's typed up? Yeah. How many of you hate writing handwritten cards? Yeah. They make a machine that makes it look like you hand wrote it. Just saying. But anyway, like the thing that you need to do and understand is like, hey, at some point of your life, that little thing could go the long way. You know, um, I, I have noticed sometimes something will get on my heart that I need to do in work. And I'll be like, okay, I'm going to do it. 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 Every time I delay it, the client reaches out to me first. And that's always a loss. You know, I'll get up and I'll be, I need to call so-and-so. And then I'll say, after this, after this, after this, after this, I will. And then the person reaches out to me before I reach out to them. And the significance of saying, hey, I was thinking about you this morning is totally gone. The value of, hey, you matter to me is totally gone because you didn't follow the nudge. Now, let me say this. The nudge of the Holy Spirit is a lot different than the burrito you ate last night. And a lot of people get caught up in their emotions and feelings and they think, well, because I feel it, I should do it. And that is not true. 
all right? You, you should understand that the nudge of the Holy Spirit is gonna lead you to the things of God, to do things that God has called you to do, to step out in faith. It's not gonna cause you to say something mean. It's not gonna cause you to tell somebody like it is. It's not gonna cause you to cheat or take advantage of someone. It's not gonna cause you to be a jerk. The nudge of God is gonna lead you to uncomfortable, faith-relying moments and actions that you do that doesn't make sense, but you're believing that God's up to something. How many of you understand that? All right, so I don't want anybody else saying, oh, I'm just following the nudge, boom, and punching somebody in the face. Don't do that. That's not what we're talking about. So here it is. He said he was led to the temple. Mary and Joseph came in obedience. And verse 28, Simon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He is a light, and we'll talk about this more tonight, to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory, we'll talk about that more tonight, of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. Look at verse 35, and then we'll give you a few points. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Now that's kind of like good news, bad news, no good news. They didn't sandwich approach it. It's like, this is the best thing that's ever happened, but it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. Now, I want you to get that statement in your notes. Sometimes the best thing that ever happens is going to be the hardest thing you have to do. The biggest risk you have to take, the hardest step, the hardest word spoken, the challenge to everything you are. Well, I don't like to speak in front of people. Please don't say that out loud. God is listening. He challenges those things. How many of you have heard that to be true in your life? Anybody ever said, I will never <laughs> define the call of God, say, oh, really? Yes, you will. The thing is, is God is going to challenge the things in your life and he's going to bring you to the glory of God. He's going to reveal light and it's going to help so many people and the glory of God is going to be made known, but it's probably going to be the hardest thing you've ever done and it's going to be risky and sometimes painful. It's going to pierce. It's going to go. If you're looking for easy faith, go believe in Santa. If you're looking for something that's real, believe in Jesus Christ and it's going to challenge you and take you and move you deep. It's going to move you far. It's going to, it's going to rock your core. Y'all understand you got this? So let's look at what makes Christmas relatable. What makes this story so relatable to us? Number one, I, I like this point. I use it often. God uses the ordinary people to do supernatural things. I mean, all of us included, who feels pretty ordinary in here? Blend in and nothing special. I mean, um, there's no Taylor Swift's in the room, are they, or anything like that? You know, who's famous? YouTuber, influencer. All right, yeah, there's one. What's your name, bro? No, I just kidding. Like, <laughs> yeah. Who, yeah, none of us. I mean, it, it, I would like to think, you know, have you ever thought if the Bible was being written now, who would be in the story? Would I get to play a part? Would my faith lead me to a manger or to a cross? Or would I be the crucify and give me the other person instead? 
Would I be the go with the crowd or would I be, let's go with Jesus no matter what the crowd? Like what part would I play? And the truth is, is the world likes to make us feel like cattle, a herd, and Jesus likes to make us feel like a flock that he loves and he takes care of. I was watching a commercial the other day for a documentary, and I love documentaries, and it, it was about bison and something like that. How many of you um, have any clue that they actually treat bison like cows in a certain part of the nation? And they herd them, and they raise them, and they had all these Chevy pickup trucks, three or four, and they were running through these fields of snow, just sliding everywhere, trying to get the bison to run into a corral. And all of a sudden, the bison would get mad and turn around. Those are big dudes, and they would just hit the truck, and the truck would rock and almost roll. And, and they were like, isn't this amazing? And I'm like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> you know, like, this is crazy. You know, I'm glad that God didn't just send out some chaotic thing to run behind us and bark and scream and honk horns and, and hey, you get right and yell. And no, God sent us a leader. Uh, he sent not a, a shepherd because he is the shepherd. He sent a lamb. And I love that. Have you ever got that analogy? He calls the sheep, but he called his son the same. He, he, he says, hey, you're the sheep. And, and Jesus even said, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Why? Because he became one of them. Because he lived with them. He cared for them. He, 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 he did not come for extraordinary people. He came to make ordinary people extraordinary. And, 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 and so I wrote these three things. I want you to get this. There's no such thing as untalented. There's no such thing as unqualified. And there's no such thing as unimportant. When it comes to God, it's not about what you have and who you are. It's not about what you can do or whether you can sing or not. It's the fact that God made you and God did not put breath in anything he didn't intend to use. And God did not put a heartbeat and put your, your bones together and, and knit you in your mother's womb without an intentional plan for your life. God has an extraordinary plan for you. The second thing we learned is adversity is going to be part of the story. It's going to be difficult. We, 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 we say this, that uh, I, I, I think it's important for you to get. Chaos is not a sign that you're going against God. Chaos is often the sign that the enemy is against what God is doing through you. And sometimes you're like, if my life, why is my life so hard and everybody else is so easy? Because God lets it rain on the field of the unjust just as much as he lets it rain on the field of the just. Understand this. You're like, well, well, you know, I, I, I serve him. I love him. I care for him. You're going to heaven. You have an eternity there. You're laying up treasures somewhere else. It is sealed. It is secured. And God has prepared a place for you. They need Jesus. They need a place to go. They're on their way to hell. They're on their way to judgment and condemnation and total separation from God. Let's pray that he keeps reigning on the field of the unjust while he keeps preparing a place for those of us who have put our faith in him. So can I tell you this right now? When you're looking around and all the world seems unfair, realize that you're not building a life for this world. You're building a life for his world. And when you get there, everything that was unfair here, there'll be those that I believe before God removes our self nature that'll believe that some people that are ruling and reigning in a little higher position are going to feel was unfair because they thought they were more on earth and God uses the humble and the meek and the lowly and they will exalt and reign and rule with him forever. But those that think there's something here might not be anything there. You say, well, we all get the same thing in heaven. Mm -mm. You can't read the Bible and come to that conclusion. We get the same heaven. We get the same God. We get the same Jesus, but the rewards are not the same. How many of you got that? Amen. You know, there's a reward for the martyr. Let's pray that none of you get that. 
I mean, that means that you, you make an ultimate sacrifice and your life is given for your faith. But there are hundreds of, of people that today will earn that reward in heaven because their life will be taken because they're choosing to celebrate Jesus on a Sunday morning. There's a reward for those that are looking for his return. There's a reward for doing the right thing. There's a reward that every time you get tempted for you to turn away from it, there's a reward every time you get made fun of or ridiculed or persecuted for serving Christ. There's a reward for that. I remember walking through the streets of Jamaica with Brad Brown from Illinois, and, and, and this was before he had lost some weight. And, and, and we were walking over a hill, and these people in Jamaica, which were very skinny, they're, they're in a third world side of Jamaica. If you've never been to that side, it, it is devastating how they live. And, and and they looked at him and they started mocking his weight and making fun of him. And I just leaned over and I whispered in his ear and I said, let them talk. They're making you richer in heaven. Let them talk. They're putting rewards in your account in heaven. Just smile and love them anyway. Sometimes that's hard to do, isn't it? But there's a reward for that. You know, there's not a reward for when you say what you think you need to say. There's not a reward for getting even. There's temporary lie of fulfillment and settled peace. But how many of you have ever got even and realized that you're uneven in life and it didn't make you feel better at all? How many of you have ever said what you wanted to say and it didn't make you feel better at all? How many of you thought if I could just tell them off, if I could just let them know what I think and then you do? And is there any reward for that? No. Adversity is part of the story. Embrace it. Um, we say this on, on our uh, Overcoming Grief class. I'm going to get it in your notes if you want to write this down. Is Pain is unavoidable, but misery is optional. I mean, you, you can't avoid pain, but you can get out of misery. You can make sure that it doesn't become a mindset. And we always use the, there's a difference in mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, mourning like broken and moaning like, woe is me, look how bad life is. There's a difference. You're going to have a broken heart, but the broken heart doesn't need to become the identity. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to see people that you love die without explanation, without reason. You're going to experience things that are not easy. The Bible says that you're going to have afflictions on this earth. He says, hey, but be of good cheer. There's a, there's a God that lives in you that overcame it. You'll overcome it too. That God will restore what's been stolen. He will fix what's been broken. He will heal what's been hurt. There's a God who is faithful. Adversity is part of the story. Number three thing we learned from the Christmas story that we can relate to is he surrounds us with people we need to get the job done. To accomplish his will. I, I, I want you to write this. While there's only one version of you. And only one version of the plan that God wants to fulfill through your life. He will not ask you to accomplish his will alone. There's one you. One plan that God wants to fulfill through you. But you will not have to do it alone. Don't we see that again and again echoed through the Christmas story. Mary had another lady. What was her name? Somebody give it to me real quick. She was pregnant at the same time. Elizabeth. All right. Joseph had another dude. He couldn't talk. But what was his name? Zechariah. Right? I mean, when they got to the manger, were they alone in that manger scene? No. Who showed up? Shepherds. When they were running and getting ready to run for their lives and they were in the house about to hear the call from God because Herod was going to kill all the babies up to two, who showed up? The wise men. Every time Joseph and Mary got to a twist and turn in their story, someone else showed up. Don't think for a moment that God has called you to be a lone ranger in this world. His son was perfect. The son of God, prince of peace, the king of heaven, the Lord of lords, and even Jesus recruited 12 people to do life with. You are not meant to live this life alone. Why? It's full of adversity. 
The will of God sometimes can seem unclear, can't it? It can get a little confusing. It can get a little clouded. Who am I supposed to marry? What am I supposed to do when I get older? Where am I supposed to go? Where do I serve in God's church? What do I do in the ministry? Who do I witness to? What am I supposed to do for a living? How am I supposed to care for my kids? What kind of mom am I? What kind of a dad am I? What kind of husband? What kind of wife? There's so many questions that the noise can get loud that sometimes you just need To know that God has got somebody in you that will keep you centered on who he is. You'll have the person that walks in and bring you back to scripture. And you know that's the place that most people don't want to go. They want to go to everybody's opinions. What do you think? How do you feel? But the right people will say, this is what God has said. And this is what his word promises, which brings us to the last point. That God does things exactly like he says he will. He'll surround you with the right people, but God's word will prove true. He keeps his promises. He does not change. And he proves his word. He doesn't say, read the word and then figure it out. He says, read the word. It is the proof of who I am and what will happen. Those that sow in tears will what? Reap in joy. Doing what? Doubtless. Meaning, that's a King James word. Doubtless means without fear of any loss, without fear of any other result, without any change in what I'm about to say. Doubtless you will come again and you will bring your sheaves, meaning your bounty, the lives of people that you've changed. You will have a family. You will have friends. You will have strong foundational lives around you that will build not just on earth, but in the kingdom of heaven. You will bring a harvest for the seeds that you have sown. You sow in tears. There's going to be adversity. You'll reap in joy and you will Come out better on the other side. That's a promise. That happens exactly like God says it would. The Bible says, if my people which are called by my name would what? Humble themselves. Then what? Pray. Then what? Seek my face. What? And then what? Turn from their wicked ways. What's the promise? That I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins. What's the other one? Heal their land. That's not just an Old Testament principle. That could happen in America today. We're sitting here saying November can bring God back in. And I'm saying children of God getting right with God, living like God, and sharing God could bring God back in. Yeah. We don't have to wait till November. We could start now. You don't have to change a, a, a political party. We don't have to go blue or red. We can just go to Jesus, and that would change everything. Can I tell you this? Just imagine, and I want you to think for a moment, what could your life be if not only you believe the promises of God, but you worked out and lived the promises of God in everything you did? The Mary and Joseph story, the Elizabeth Zachariah story, a wise man's story, a shepherd's story was based on a total faith followed by a total action, by a total dependence ending in the exact result of what God said would happen. Follow this star, you're going to find him. Hey, stay with Mary, she's going to have this baby. Hey, your son is going to be the one that ushers in Jesus. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter number three, guess who we start talking about? John. It flips very quickly. And the next thing you know, it's John's going out before him and saying he is about to make all the curved roads straight and the rough edges smooth. I love that verse. 
God's about to come in and work this out. There's one coming that can change everything. And I'm telling you right now, we are not the voice that God has put on this earth to say that Jesus is coming in a manger. We are the voice that God has put on this earth to say Jesus is coming in authority and glory and power and will rule and reign forever. He's coming back. He's coming back. We got a better message. He's still writing wrongs. He's still healing hurts. He's still recovering the down and out. He is coming to take us home. God's promises always work out exactly like he says they will. And if we live by these things, if we look at that story, we can say, I'm ordinary, but God's, God's not. And he uses people like me. If we can look around and say, okay, I don't need to quit because it's hard. I need to keep enduring, keep trusting, sow in tears, reap in joy. Those that labor will have a harvest, right? Galatians 6, 9, let's paraphrase it. You labor, you love him. There's a harvest coming if you don't quit. Hey, the Lord will fight for you and you can hold your peace. God is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. You're not the person that God's given up on. If God doesn't give up on the lost, he definitely doesn't give up on his child. Adversity is part of the story, but you don't have to do the story alone. There's people around you that God has placed there. Pastor Chris taught me this. It's a very valuable lesson, very two. You only need two, maybe three. They love the Lord that you can lean on. They're leaning on the word of God. They're leaning on the promises of God. Trust two or three. You don't have to trust the multitudes. Matter of fact, Rick Warren used to say it this way. The multitude often gets it wrong. If you're going with the crowd, you're probably messing up. Sometimes it's the few that make the difference. And if I know that with the people that God has placed in my life and the calling that God has placed on me, we can get through the hard times because God uses people like you and like me. And I know that God's word will prove true. Not just for me, not just for Jesus, not just for the Simeons and those in the story, but for you as well. I love that the Christmas story includes us all. So please include Jesus this Christmas in your story. Please put him first. When you wake up in the morning, sure, there's excitement and joy. Treasure that. Make memories. Take pictures. Laugh. You know, John, our our drummer, says that there's certain days that carbohydrates and calories don't count. They're holy. (laughs) He works in a bakery. I don't think we should say that that's the person we should follow. Sure, enjoy tomorrow. But at some point, I pray that you find yourself in awe as you sit and behold the magnitude of what took place that first Christmas day when hell was put on notice because the champion of the world had just stepped foot on the planet. I'm thankful today for what God has done in my life. Anybody else in here? And I pray today as you go out and as you celebrate and as you spend time with family and friends that you'll find ways to make Jesus known. With some of your family, that'll be vocal. Share it. Maybe just include them and say, hey, you know, I don't mean to be offensive, but one of the things we want to make part of our tradition is just to read this little bit of Luke. Would you read it with us? 
You don't have to agree with it, but would you mind? Here's a word that we use in real estate. Can I teach you something is, would you be opposed if we did this? Don't ask them if they're okay with it. People oftentimes will say, no, I'm not okay with that. Don't do that. But nobody likes to be opposed. Does that make sense? That makes you a jerk. Would you be opposed if I called you tomorrow at 9 a.m. And, and maybe we just had prayer? Would you be opposed if before we eat today, we just grab hands, share two things we're thankful for this year? Realize the benefits we have. Some tables don't have as many people at us as yours might have. Some people don't have the health that yours have. I asked a couple earlier before church and they're spending Christmas in the hospital with a mom with lung cancer. Do you know what? They immediately shifted to praise. They told us they were calling hospice in and ever since they said that, she's been getting better. You know, it's like, God, give me that faith. But as we, as we look around, can we find ways to say orally, hey, can we just... Take a moment and pray. Don't preach while you pray because prayers to God. You ever been in those services where somebody preaches a five-point sermon in a prayer? Yeah, that's not, that's not praying. It's vain. No, I'll just talk to God. Maybe it's not vocally. Maybe it's the way you act. We all have the person that's going to show up at the table that, that rubs us a little bit the wrong way. Evelyn, behave, <laughs> behave. Hopefully that's not Kenny. Okay, maybe it is. No, I'm just kidding. Now, thankfully in my immediate home, that's not going to happen. But sometimes we have to go to places that we don't want to go. Am I right? Walk in and be kind. Don't say your slighted statements that you've been saving up for 364 days. They know how they've treated you. They know what they've said to hurt you. They know deep down inside who they are. Kindness is a tool that can pierce a heart and melt it. Now, I don't know about you. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Sometimes it's in the way you live. Maybe this year you still got time. You find a family that you can go be a blessing to. Maybe tonight you drop off a check. And I'm not saying anybody can do that. Maybe you drop off a ham. Or maybe you've made some sweets that you could give to somebody else. Sometimes it's through an action or a gift. You know what I love about God is there are so many ways that you can share him. Even he said, no one will have the excuse to say they didn't know me. I'm in everything. And in some shape, form, or fashion, whether vocally or through the word, may you step in because we realize that, hey, Jesus Christ came to be the light of the world and the glory of God made known to man. And he uses us, me and you, as the vessels of which he makes himself known. What an honor. What a privilege. It's going to be hard sometimes. God is going to put the right people around you. He's going to accomplish his work. But you are the vessel of which he chose to plant his light in. So what are we used to saying? Like this little light of mine. What are you going to do? This little light of mine. Say it. Again. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. How many of you are so glad that God looked at his little light and said, let's let this shine. 
Jesus declared, I'm the light of the world and looked at his disciples on his way out and said, you are the light of the world. I'm thankful for the light that shined in my life. Anybody else say me too? Stand, grab somebody's hand. Let's close in a word of prayer. Ah, God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. We love you. Please be in prayer for those. There, are, there is still a lot of sickness coming through. I don't know how all you got here today. There was a whole lot less cars in the parking lot than people in the building. That was crazy. Yeah, I walked in and I was like, how does this happen? Y'all doing some car pulling with these high gas prices, right? So, all right. But hey, we love you. Um, y'all mean the world to us. Thank you for making this season special at Grace. Um, I, I was sitting there thinking the other day, we've seen 42 people saved in the past two months right here, just in the time that we've gone from Halloween to now. And that's only the ones I know about. And so as we, as we look at that, somebody looked at me the other day and I thought Betty would like this. They, Dave looked at me and he said, we need a permanent baptistry. And I was like, Betty would love to hear those words. She's been telling me that for 11 years. And so um, it's just like, hey, you know what? The baptistry is just an encouragement to take the step of obedience and following Christ and saying, I am proud to be his. I'm proud to be his. So I'm going to say that from the bottom of my heart. I'm proud to be a part of your family. I'm thankful you're a part of ours. And I, I hope this week, this day, tomorrow brings a lot of joy for you. And if today this is a hard season and a little bit more difficult than normal, our hearts are with you. I, I will tell you this. Do not be alone tomorrow. You don't have to be. There's somewhere, someone will open a door for you. There's board games to be played, phase 10 to be argued over, and Jesus to be celebrated. Don't play Monopoly. We may never see the other person again. What I'm saying is find a way. If you are in need this year, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, of a place to go, we will find you one. We will find you one. But God bless you. Let's keep Jesus first. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the day. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you've given us. And I pray that we will live lives this week worthy of your glory, worthy of standing and proclaiming your son that, man, he deserves so much more than we give him on a daily basis. And so I pray that this week we will not be shy nor absent when it comes to carrying your cause. I pray that we see aunts and uncles and cousins and and moms and dads and brothers and sisters reunited. Maybe, God, this is the year that the grudge gets dropped. Maybe this is the year that restoration is found. God, I pray more than all, this is the year that lost people find you. Through our word, through our testimony, and the way we live, may they be pointed to you. And we claim this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.